our standard title, the uh, Week in Politics, um, talk from Jack Conrad, Provisional Central Committee of CPGB, and uh, this is organised jointly with Labour Party Marxists. Um, and uh, it's gone five o'clock, in fact, eight minutes past, so carry on, John. Okay. Um, I haven't got um, a picture in front of me, I have said that, um, so I don't know if other comrades have or not. What's that? Yeah, we can see you okay. Can you? Well, I can't see me and I can't see anyone else. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, well, the first thing I suppose is uh, just to touch upon COVID-19. Um, I think last week I was talking about schools and then universities in Britain uh, going back and the government saying go out there and get back to work so you can keep the restaurants and uh, tea rooms and coffee shops in the uh, centre of cities um, uh, in business and uh, well I won't say I told you so but uh, I told you so. Um, you know, it's no surprise that once you relax a lockdown, uh, there is going to be some sort of um, spike uh, upwards. And you have to say that the government was bending over backwards in the direction of uh, business and getting back to normal. And um, the result, as I said, is is what we've got. So um, throughout Britain, we've got not uh, another lockdown, uh, but we've got local, regional uh, lockdowns, and we've got restrictions on pub opening times. Not that that will make much uh, difference, but also a rule of six, except in workplaces. Um, you aren't meant to socialise with more than six people. Um, so we've also had um, a number of um, anti-lockdown uh, uh, protests. Um, there have to be, have to, has to be said that this sort of consists of a very rich brew of uh, causes. Uh, some, quite frankly, you know, off the planet, you know, like David Icke. Um, I'm not quite sure what his um, present theory is. Uh, but, you know, you get the idea that uh, the elite are uh, lizards and, you know, some sort of billion year uh, conspiracy with the Rothschilds and uh, all the rest of it. Um, down to those that um, basically are saying that the government's lying to us, uh, that uh, COVID-19 is much exaggerated or maybe actually doesn't even um, um, exist. Uh, I have to say that uh, I agree uh, that the government um, hasn't exactly uh, played this one uh, straight. Um, I think all governments actually do have uh, an interest in exerting control. Um, so we, you know, note uh, that this demonstration in London, as I said, organised, I think, well, by a whole number of different groups, but including David Icke. Uh, but also Piers uh, Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, brother. Uh, that was uh, attacked uh, by the police. I think something like 10 to 15 people were uh, arrested. Now, it has to be said that formerly 
people are allowed to demonstrate, but the organizers are meant to uh, give the police due notice and um, uh, assure the authorities that social distancing will be put in place. How you can have uh, social distancing really on any uh, demonstration, I have to say, is beyond me. Nevertheless, there have been some demonstrations. On the other hand, other demonstrations have been uh, banned. Uh, I don't really see the logic myself in what demonstrations have been allowed to go ahead and what demonstrations have been banned. Um, and that's precisely the point that, uh, um, you know, come a crisis, uh, uh, governments have the opportunity to impose draconian measures and there is always a danger uh, that what is a draconian measure, what is an emergency measure, uh, becomes the new uh, norm. Okay. Um, well, for, for me, uh, uh, I don't think that uh, COVID-19 is a, a government conspiracy. I don't think it was made in a Wuhan um, laboratory. I don't think it was made by the Americans. I, my suspicion, along with most people, is that perhaps its origins are with bats passed on either directly to a human being or more likely uh, via, via some other um, uh, animal. Um, and um, the Chinese authorities, it's certainly true, were slow um, in terms of getting a grip on it. On the other hand, if you actually look at the global statistics, I think I... Uh, read them out last week, so I'm not going to rehearse it again. If you look at the uh, uh, national statistics, what's remarkable to me uh, is that China uh, doesn't appear in the top 10 uh, when it comes to death rates. Uh, it's way down uh, the list. So although it's the origin of COVID-19, uh, it put in place the necessary measures to stop its spread, to suppress it. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't still uh, cases of COVID-19 in China. I'm sure there are. Uh, but what we actually have in terms of uh, death rates uh, is actually advanced capitalist countries um, uh, in the top 10. At the bottom of the list of shame is Sweden. Um, and if you go up the list, uh, you'll then find the United States somewhere in the middle and ahead of the United States in terms of death rate, uh, the United Kingdom topped, uh, I think, uh, by Italy and Spain. And the top um, in terms of global uh, death rate uh, is Peru. Um, one would expect uh, that India um, and other backward uh, capitalist countries uh, will soon be up there um, in the top 10. Remember, we're talking about death rate. Uh, that is uh, the, the, the relationship between one's population and the number uh, of, of deaths. We're not talking about total deaths here. If we are talking about total deaths, then the United States comes top and I think followed uh, uh, by um, uh, India. Okay. Um, we have a lot of debate uh, uh, in Britain um, over the question of um, students. Uh, I have to say that I think uh, that the authorities acted irresponsibly. Uh, when you get um, a load of first years, a load of freshers, 
um, basically straight from school and this is often their first time uh, living away from home you put a, a load of them uh, together what do you expect then they're going to be going out partying uh, they'll be looking for um, sex that's what's called the student experience but they're also looking and that's what they'll find uh, is friendship circles uh, that often last them uh, a lifetime so this is a very important you know rite of passage uh, into adulthood um, and you know personally I'm not looking to blame students for being students I'm actually looking at the authorities but crucially uh, the government um, not putting in measures in terms of, um, you know, staying at home um, and uh, uh, using uh, the internet, using Zoom um, and other uh, measures. And I know that that's not a substitute for the live uh, experience, but the very fact now, uh, given the spike in COVID-19 infections, they're talking about forcing students to stay uh, at university uh, including throughout uh, the winter holidays, that includes Christmas, a big thing uh, in uh, Britain, uh, I, I think testifies to um, uh, um, a failure to predict uh, what is surely um, um, obvious. Okay, having spoken about young people, I just think we ought to put a, a note in uh, that although young people uh, don't tend to suffer in the same way that those over 45, those over 65, those over 70, uh, they still get it. And what we seem to be um, um, having is a situation uh, of where something like one in 10 people uh, who actually get this COVID-19, they don't simply have flu-like symptoms or they don't prove to be asymptomatic uh, they actually have uh, this, uh, the effects of this uh, uh, virus lasting month upon month upon month. In other words, uh, long-term COVID-19. Uh, that affects the heart, it affects the brain, uh, it affects uh, the lungs. Uh, and that can uh, actually also uh, um, affect young people uh, as well as old people. Although old people, uh, these are the ones... Uh, or we are the ones uh, that um, suffer uh, more uh, when it comes to actually kicking the bucket, dying uh, from it. So I've got some statistics here um, in terms of the outbreak in Britain. Uh, those between the year one and uh, 14, uh, the number that have died in Britain, in terms of this is something they record on the death certificate, that's four four people uh, are dead. On the other hand, uh, those over 75, uh, the death figure is 39,008, or 58, excuse me. Um, well, that does tell you uh, something about the nature of this horrible uh, disease. Okay, what we also have is, um, uh, the government in the form of uh, Chancellor um, Sunak uh, announcing the end of the furlong, furlough uh, scheme that's going to be at the end of October and the replacement uh, by a far less uh, generous uh, measure where the government has been paying workers 80% um, of their wage 
uh, we're now talking about a figure uh, of 20 uh, percent and one would very much expect that not to be taken up in the same way uh, and therefore there are predictions and you would expect that that to be accurate of a million more people uh, are becoming unemployed um, so what the government hasn't done um, is look at uh, retraining people and basically uh, gearing the economy through planning uh, to where COVID-19 COVID should be expected to be around in the population, not just for several more months, but I think we can safely guess several more years. Uh, that is how long it will take uh, to roll this vaccine out uh, and to actually get it into uh, people um, so that the population is to all intents and purposes uh, immune uh, to the uh, uh, virus. Having said that, uh, of course, you have to say uh, that any country, any economy, any society uh, that doesn't work, uh, neither will it eat. Uh, you actually do need people uh, at work. Uh, you can't simply uh, extend lockdowns uh, indefinitely. Uh, you know, how do we get the electricity working? How do you get the food uh, into the shops? Uh, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, that you do need production and you do need reproduction in any uh, society. The key question, though, uh, is control. Who actually controls it? And is it being run on the basis of need? That's what we would advocate or is it being run um, on the basis of profit? And of course, it was profit uh, that the government was bowing to uh, in terms of its encouragement of employers to force uh, their workers back uh, into the offices, especially uh, um, in terms of uh, town centres uh, and all the rest of it. Okay, uh, moving uh, to uh, the United States. No surprise, at least to me, I, I have heard people saying that uh, Trump wouldn't use this opportunity or shouldn't use this opportunity. He should rise above partisan politics and wait uh, for the November election, see who wins the presidential race and allow the new president, uh, i.e. either himself uh, or his uh, uh, Democrat opponent, uh, Joe Biden, uh, to appoint uh, the new member of the Supreme Court. Well, no surprise, although we saw the Republicans last time round when there was a, uh, a Democrat uh, president, i.e. Uh, President uh, Obama, um, we saw the uh, Republicans block uh, the attempt to appoint a new um, Supreme Court judge uh, by Obama in a presidential election year, but they had a majority uh, in the Senate. No surprise. Uh, it doesn't look like the Republicans uh, will uh, block uh, their president appointing one of their own um, to the Supreme Court. So we'll have a Supreme Court, um, I think, uh, not only with a, a secure conservative majority that already exists, but what we'll have is a, conservative, a secure conservative majority, uh, one would expect, 
for another generation, uh, for a conservative president and for a conservative Senate, uh, this is not an opportunity uh, to be lost. And uh, anyone uh, who thought uh, otherwise, quite frankly, uh, needs their head examined. I know that the Democrats, of course, will be complaining, uh, but if they were in that position, they would do precisely uh, the same thing. I'm getting a bit of interference here. Um, okay, so there are a number of other reasons, I think, that we ought to say why uh, uh, Trump is doing this, precisely because it is an election year um, uh, he actually welcomes uh, the opposition uh, to uh, Amy uh, Barrett from the Democrats uh, because this will allow him uh, to mobilize conservative opinion, um, including Catholic uh, opinion, uh, to his presidential uh, campaign. Because what we have uh, with Amy Barrett is someone who's called uh, uh, an adherent of originalism. Uh, this is a, a legal theory that basically tries to get into the heads of those who drafted uh, the uh, US Constitution and interpret the Constitution as they would want it. Uh, <laughs> if you took that literally, uh, that would mean um, uh, advocating the continuation of slavery. Okay, slavery has been abolished, but what we're talking about here uh, is an extremely conservative reading of the U.S. Constitution and an extremely conservative reading of U.S. law. So, in other words, what we have in jeopardy one way or another, through one route or another, um, is... Um, American women's right uh, to seek an abortion. Um, we also have uh, in jeopardy somewhere along the lines also um, same-sex uh, uh, marriage. All of these things uh, are something that uh, Trump can use in order to mobilize conservative opinion. Uh, uh, here's his nominee, um, there's the opposition, uh, if you want what I want, uh, vote uh, for uh, Trump. So he has a long-term uh, goal of uh, a conservative Supreme Court for at least another generation. Remember, high court judges don't have to retire. They can uh, uh, serve for life, as we've just seen. Uh, and given the age of uh, uh, Amy Barrett, uh, that is a long time in the future. So uh, we are talking perhaps uh, whatever the Democrats uh, do. In other words, if the Democrats win, uh, we'll have a, a conservative Supreme Court majority, perhaps another 20, 25 uh, uh, years. Okay, there's also another reason, isn't there? Um, and that is for those with a, a memory from a few years ago with the... Um, chads in florida and all the rest i don't really understand it i'm i'm british so i don't really know what a chad is something to do with a voting machine uh, but we had the um, dispute remember in florida um, and the presidential uh, um, um, victor who was it going to be was it going to be uh, george bush uh, jr um, or was it 
going to be um what was his name vice president um al gore they were it's just uh, come to me and of course it was going to go to the uh, supreme uh, court so in terms of trump uh, if he's disputing postal ballots if he's disputing uh, you know this particular uh, delegate um, uh, if he's saying that in this state uh, there was this irregularity if he says it was too narrow uh, which is quite conceivable uh, um, you can imagine it ending in the supreme court and so another one of uh, the republicans and another one of trump's calculations are going to be in the event of a narrow um, presidential campaign um, it could go to the supreme court and uh, if you've got a conservative uh, majority well um, that is something uh, where you would expect a conservative majority at least to be sympathetic uh, to Trump. Now, of course, we also have, um, I don't know whether he's uh, doing it uh, to hype things up, um, but I wouldn't sort of um, go along with that argument, but I could be wrong. But when asked the question, uh, will you go peacefully uh, if you lose, uh, note that Trump uh, refused to come out as you would expect him to do and to say well of course if I lost fair and square of course I would go uh, peacefully. Uh, now to me what that uh, um, um, abodes um, in the event of a disputed uh, presidential um, um, election is not the army intervening in favor of Trump. I, I expect, if anything, it to be the other way round. And uh, I also would say that if anyone's going to escort uh, Trump out of the White House, of course, it won't be the army. At least one wouldn't expect it to be. One would expect it to be the secret services. Either way, uh, to me, uh, if Trump is playing with anything here, uh, it isn't... Um, um, I'm calling for the army to intervene uh, to protect me, the president. Uh, to me, what uh, um, he's conjuring up um, or what he's legitimizing um, um, is uh, the role of the various right-wing militias. And uh, under those circumstances, uh, one could certainly imagine an awful lot of violence. I mean, quite frankly, um, whatever militia uh, you've got, I don't see it uh, being a match for the uh, US Army. On the other hand, uh, uh, if you've got um, uprisings in various towns and cities, you know, how united uh, would the army be? I would expect it to be united, but on the other hand, one would also say uh, that uh, if the country is divided roughly uh, uh, down the middle in terms of uh, a presidential, uh, election. One would also expect uh, similar divisions uh, in the rank and file of the army going into the uh, officer corps. So very, very uh, unusual uh, circumstances. And I'd also say, of course, that an awful lot in terms of world politics uh, depends on the result uh, in November. Um, you know, uh, in terms of looking at what's going on in Europe with the EU, what's going on in Britain, uh, with Brexit, and one then can look around the rest of the world 
in terms of Russia, uh, Belarus, uh, the US, China. Um, you know, there are so many hotspots, uh, to use an old phrase, uh, that I'm not saying for one second uh, that um, uh, Trump, um, you know, is the one that's going to trigger World War Three. If anything, actually, uh, it's the other way around. Uh, that if we look at Trump, um, certainly his uh, last election campaign was very much uh, about uh, America first. Why the hell are we fighting uh, these stupid wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq? Uh, uh, and we don't want to get involved in any more. Uh, the Democrats, on the other hand, you know, were uh, itchy fingering uh, uh, over Syria. Uh, and one would expect them also uh, uh, and that's what they said, uh, to take a harder line position uh, when it came to uh, Russia. So either way, uh, you know, an awful lot um, hinges um, on the US uh, election results in November. And the reason why I'm saying that in particular is also because I think that uh, if one looks back at history and, and in terms of where we are at the moment, you have to say that in terms of the left, but crucially the working class movement, um, it's not at the present time, not at the present moment in history, playing an independent, let alone a determining role uh, in uh, world politics. So world politics is very much being determined uh, in the camp of um, the bourgeoisie, which shows all the signs of not being able to actually control uh, its own political uh, uh, system. Okay, let's move on. Just a few quick comments. Um, uh, Belarus, I've mentioned that uh, in passing. We have the secret inauguration of President uh, Lutashenko. Um, for those on the left that uh, think he won actually uh, fair and square and uh, he actually secured 80% of the poll, I just think that's fantasy uh, uh, land. You know, if anything, it's the other way around. I've got no, um, you know, scientific uh, uh, basis for saying that, except, of course, if you won 80% of a poll, and uh, your opponents in the West, i.e., you know, the CIA and uh, uh, MI6 and all the rest of it, decided to launch a color revolution. Well, if they can put uh, 100,000 um, onto the streets, well, if you've got 80% of the population behind you, we're talking about a pretty small population in that country, we'll put a million people. Um, onto the streets. Um, it should be the easiest thing uh, to do to demonstrate uh, that you've actually got uh, the masses behind you. But clearly that is not the case. Now that doesn't mean that I have any um, illusions in uh, the opposition. Uh, their program, to the extent they've got a program, you know, is for um, neoliberalism, uh, which would see much of um, um, industry in uh, Belarus wiped out. Uh, th there's no doubt uh, about that. And one would expect if they push through a program that has any similarity uh, to what the West recommended um, in Russia uh, under Boris Yeltsin, uh, then the mass of the population 
would actually be thrown into extreme poverty while sections of the existing elite uh, and how should I put it, uh, the new bourgeoisie, those with connections with the West, um, uh, you know, make themselves uh, into billionaires. So from our point of view, we have no uh, truck uh, with the existing uh, government in, uh, uh, um, in, in terms of Leftyshenko. Um, on the other hand, we have no truck uh, with the um, um, opposition. Talking about opposition um, and uh, Russia and uh, all the rest of it, um, was Navalny poisoned with um, some sort of Novichuk um, agent? Well, I would say yes. Um, you know, um, it's a bit like if there's a you know a murder. Uh, I don't know about other countries, but I suspect it's the same as it is in Britain. The first people that the police suspect is a member of your own family. Most murders are done within the family. Either a husband kills a wife or a wife kills a husband. If it's a violent death, it's most likely uh, the husband. Uh, if it's by poisoning, it's most likely the wife. And then you start looking uh, for less likely suspects. And it's the same in politics, in my view. You know, some poor journalist gets dismembered um, in some um, uh, diplomatic uh, facility of Saudi Arabia in Turkey. Who do you suspect? Well, you suspect the Saudi government. Who in the Saudi government? MBS. Uh, it ain't going to be a rogue uh, element. You don't just go and do it without the say-so of the chief, the boss, in the same way uh, that if you take the poisoning and near deaths of uh, uh, the Scripples in Salisbury uh, in England, uh, well, who do you first suspect? Well, I don't suspect myself uh, MI5 or uh, the British government or the CIA. No, I suspect Putin. Uh, not some rogue element. Uh, but the man at the top. And it's the same uh, with the poisoning um, of this uh, Russian opposition uh, leader. And it, it's basically there to send out a very strong message. If you mess with us, this is what we do to you. We either kill you or we damn near kill you. Uh, and this is meant to put terror into the hearts of anyone who dares oppose the regime. And I'd also have to say uh, that far from being innocent, if you actually look at the United Kingdom um, and the United States today, while they use different methods, uh, the result is eerily similar. So if we look just at the case uh, that we have in the courts at the moment in London of Julian Assange, and you could look at uh, other uh, uh, victims um, in the United States. He's uh, due to be extradited to the United States after the presidential election. Uh, basically, you know, uh, this is punishment for him leaking embarrassing information, showing, you know, the nature, the true nature of the occupation uh, carried out by the UK and the United States uh, uh, in uh, Iraq.
and all sorts of other dirty tricks and lies that governments uh, routinely uh, indulge in. And in order to put anyone else off from doing the same thing, he faces, if he's extradited to the United States and he is successfully tried, he faces a potential imprisonment of 175 years. Well, in other words, uh, you rot uh, in jail. Uh, that is what the United States uh, is uh, threatening. Okay, um, lastly, I just wanted to deal with the Labour Party uh, in Britain under the new leadership of Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, we have the, um, the news this week that um, the Labour Party has a 3% lead in an opinion poll. So we have um, the Tories on 39% and Labour on 42%. Uh, well, it don't surprise me very much uh, because what we have is now a Tory government, how many months in uh, to COVID-19? And we see uh, at least from my angle, uh, a government that's uh, handled uh, the pandemic in an appalling, uh, in a criminal way. Uh, it didn't lock down early enough. It didn't have sufficient preparation. Um, it hasn't handled uh, the coming out of lockdown well. It's handled it appallingly. I've already spoken about schools. I've already spoken about colleges. Um, I've already spoken about the government encouraging uh, workers, i.e. employers, getting their workers back to work uh, in the uh, centre of cities. Um, so it don't surprise me uh, that the Labour Party uh, has a small lead. And of course, Keir Starmer has gone in for a Mr. Sensible approach I'm going to provide constructive opposition I will give the government support when it deserves support and I'll criticize it when it deserves criticism so he he's trying to present the Labour Party as a safe pair of hands uh, um, a safe pair of hands in terms of the system and as the majority of people identify with the system it's not surprising uh, that people say that who uh, would make a better Prime Minister, Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer, uh, people go Keir Starmer. Um, for those on the left that said this is a disastrous um, approach, that he's being far too soft on the government, well, I'm not saying that um, opinion polls um, you know, are decisive, uh, but what else uh, do you want to go by? Um, they do provide you some sort of, um, um, you know, litmus test, some sort of um, um, understanding of where the wind is blowing from and how strong um, is that wind. So in terms of Keir Starmer, uh, yes, um, you know, he's, he's being an effective leader um, of uh, the opposition. Um, his job uh, is to win. Uh, the next general election. And this is the dilemma for the Labour left, because what we were told is that left-wing um, um, 
policies are popular and if you had left-wing policies on a left-wing leader uh, Labour couldn't lose it well we saw Labour lose and lose badly in 2019 and Keir Starmer although he's still attached uh, to some of the policies uh, of uh, Corbyn and uh, the Labour Party under Corbyn clearly is indicating to the establishment to the population that this is a new leadership and it's going to have new policies hence as I said constructive um, opposition and we saw again uh, that put on deliberate display uh, when it came uh, to the government which is pushing through a bill in Parliament at the present time that basically um, doesn't decriminalize uh, but it basically what's it do it, it gives a presumption of uh, uh, against prosecution uh, for British troops engaged in conflicts abroad um, in other words if British troops uh, are uh, accused of uh, waterboarding, of torture, of beating up people, of killing people illegally, uh, there will be a presumption against prosecution by the authorities uh, in Britain. Um, now, uh, what we had is, let me get the figures right, we had three uh, shadow uh, ministers, junior ministers, uh, rebel uh, against uh, the whip, against the Labour whip uh, on this in Parliament and they were warned beforehand and they were duly sacked. Um, they are Nadia um, Whitcomb, Beth Winter and Oliver Blake and uh, they along with uh, other Labour rebels uh, such as um, um, John MacDonald, Diane Abbott, and Jeremy Corbyn voted against uh, the government. Um, in total, um, there were 15 uh, rebels uh, from the Labour uh, side. Now, I looked it up, um, and uh, apparently there are 34 members of the Socialist Campaign Group uh, in Parliament. Now, Various people, um, you know, um, might have various excuses. I was in hospital. Uh, why they didn't actually uh, join uh, that uh, rebellion. But at least half uh, didn't join uh, that rebellion. Um, which, as I said, is uh, basically rebelling uh, against the government. Uh, to all intents and purposes, um, um, giving free reign. Uh, to British uh, troops to act uh, in a barbaric way and quite frankly you put um, you know an army um, into a country an army of occupation uh, into a country what do you expect them to do they're not going to behave uh, in a nice way because the population resents them the population hates them and eventually troops even the nicest troops will turn around and shoot beat or, or abuse uh, the people uh, that they're occupying. So I looked it up um, and out of the 34 members of the Socialist Campaign Group, um, there are now one, there is now one uh, uh, junior uh, minister left. 
um, and that is Marcia Chanti de Cordova. Uh, I, I don't know what she's a junior minister of, uh, but she is a junior minister. And I have to say, what the hell is she doing uh, in a shadow cabinet uh, that issues uh, a whip saying that people should vote uh, for the British Army uh, to be allowed to behave uh, in this way, because that is what this bill is about, uh, of course. It's also interesting, uh, I looked this up as well, I discovered this, uh, that before 2017, uh, what, was, uh, what was left of the socialist campaign group, this is a group of left-wing Labour MPs that has its origins in the campaign for deputy leader run by um, Tony Benn uh, back in the 80s uh, from my uh, uh, memory and, and what happened is that it split uh, with something called the Tribune group of MPs that was moving sharply uh, to the right uh, and in the 80s the socialist campaign group you know had some reality by the time of the election of Jeremy Corbyn as leader I don't know whether it was still meeting, but I very much doubt it. But of course, with uh, the election of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, uh, what you saw uh, is the election of new MPs, but also what you saw is those that had an idea in terms of promoting their careers uh, by adopting either out of sincere uh, conviction or out of uh, cynical calculation, um, I want to adopt, I want to come out, I want to join uh, the socialist campaign group. So what we saw is the socialist campaign group really grow uh, from being a husk of an organisation uh, to the organisation that exists today of 34 um, MPs. But the point I wanted to make is until 2017, the rules uh, of the socialist campaign group said uh, that this organization is open only uh, to those uh, um, who occupy uh, the back benches. Um, in Britain, uh, the parliament is arranged um, on two sides and it's arranged in a, um, how should I put it, um, an elevated way. And uh, on the front benches, on both sides, uh, you have your ministers and then you have your shadow ministers and at the back you had the back benches uh, which are people um, who hold no office and as I said until 2017 members of the socialist campaign group were barred um, from holding um, front bench positions so that meant they couldn't be shadow ministers or shadow junior ministers worth that's worth noting when we look at the um, votes uh, that we've had recently in various left-wing organizations, organizations at least pass themselves off as being left in the Labour Party, when presented with um, um, a motion saying uh, that uh, socialists should not sit in uh, either a capitalist government or a capitalist shadow government, i.e. Uh, should not sit uh, um, in today's shadow cabinet um, headed by Keir Starmer, um, 
that position commanded a very, very, very small minority vote. So in the Labour-Left alliance, uh, I think about a third of the delegates supported uh, that position, uh, where in the Labour Representation Committee, out of something like 140 or thereabouts uh, potential votes, um, only um, something like below 20 uh, uh, people supported that. Well, that, that is basically uh, voting down the rules of the Socialist Campaign Group uh, before 2017. I'm not sure what motivated those rules um, of the Socialist Campaign Group, uh, but all I can say is I would support that position. I understand why they changed uh, um, their rules in 2017. Um, after all, Jeremy Corbyn uh, was shadow prime minister. And then, then you had uh, John McDonnell being shadow chancellor, Diane Abbott being shadow um, home secretary, and one could carry on down the list. But after the defeat of um, Corbynism, uh, those rules ought to have been restored. And the, the fact that the left has forgotten that uh, uh, tradition uh, that doesn't go back, of course, just to the foundation um, of the Socialist Campaign Group of Labour MPs, but goes back to the early years of the 20th century and the majority uh, position of the Socialist International, uh, which voted twice uh, against Millerandism. Uh, that's Alexander Millerand, who sat in a capitalist government in France. Uh, the Socialist International rejected that. First of all, it rejected it in a rather ambiguous uh, vote, and then it rejected it emphatically, you know, absolutely, um, you know, no holds barred several years uh, later. I asked the question, should the left call for the reinstatement of the, th the three shadow uh, junior ministers? Uh, I would say definitely not. Uh, my view would be, quite the opposite. What we've got to say is, why is there still someone from the Socialist Campaign Group still in the Shadow Cabinet? And what were these three doing in the Shadow Cabinet anyway? Uh, they shouldn't have been in it. They shouldn't have accepted the appointment. They should have taken a principal position and been on the back benches and being critics uh, of uh, the front benches led by Keir uh, Starmer. So uh, uh, that should be uh, uh, the left's uh, position and the left needs to relearn that principle. That's it. Thanks, Stan. Okay. Um, comrades, it's your turn to speak. So uh, I'm looking for, well, we can do the chat column, but I think actually if comrades can manage it, if you click the uh, participants button, then you get... Uh, a little menu usually with a blue hand. Can we call it? Oh, you're raising.